Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey there, welcome to The Tents. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, one of the things that drives most hobbyists crazy is when stuff in our tanks gets blown around, covered, or moved around the aquarium without our, uh, our doing it. Uh, it can be because of, you know, strong current, the activity of fishes, or simply, you know, overgrowth by plants. I understand the annoyance that many hobbyists feel. I recall the same aggravating feeling in many of the reef tanks I used to keep where I had real high flow from, you know, electronic uh, submersible power heads and then uh, having sand on the bottom. It was almost always a combination for annoyance. I mean, I get it. We have what feels a carefully, you know, thought out aquascape looking exactly how we expected it would after setup. Yet, despite our ideas and thoughts, stuff moves around in the aquarium. It's something we can either accept or modify in our tanks depending on our preferences. Yet, movement and covering of various materials by sediments, biofilms, etc., which accumulate on the substrate uh, in natural habitats, are pretty much everyday occurrences and they help forge a really dynamic ecosystem. And they're constantly creating new opportunities for the fishes which reside in them to exploit. When you think about how materials get around in aquatic habitats. There's a few factors which influence both the accumulation and the distribution of them. In many tropical streams, the water depth and the intensity of the flow changes during periods of rain and runoff, creating significant redistribution of the materials which accumulate on the bottom, like leaves, branches, seed pods, and stuff like that. Now, larger, more hefty materials, like branches, uh, submerged logs, and you know, big things like that, will tend to move less frequently and in many instances, they'll remain stationary, providing a sort of a physical diversion for water as substrate materials accumulate around them, a, a dam of sorts, if you will. And this creates known structures within streams in areas like Amazonia, which are known to have existed for many years. They're actually mapped on some of these, uh, uh, some of these local maps. Uh, semi-permanent aquatic features within the streams, which influence not only the physical and chemical environment, but the very habits and the abundance of the fishes which reside there. Now, most of the stuff, the small stuff, like leaves, tend to move around quite a bit. You might even say that the material changes created by this movement of natural materials can have significant implications for fishes. As we've talked about before, they follow the food, often existing in and subsisting off of what they can find in these areas. Now, new accumulations of leaves, detritus, and other materials benefit the entire ecosystem. In the case of our aquariums, this redistribution of material can create some pretty interesting opportunities to not only switch up the aesthetics of our tanks, but to provide new and unique little physical areas for many of the fishes that we keep to exploit. And yeah, the creation of new feeding opportunities for life forms at all levels is a real positive that you simply can't overstate. As hobbyists, we tend to lament changes to the aquascape of our tanks caused by things like you know, like movement, things that are outside of our control, or so to speak, and we consider them to be this huge inconvenience, when in reality, 
they're not only a facsimile of very natural dynamic processes, they're fundamental to many of the uh, many of these evolutionary processes in the natural environment. The benthic microfauna, the animals that live in the substrate, which uh, many of our fishes tend to feed on, are also affected by this phenomenon. And as I just mentioned, the fishes tend to follow the food, making this a case of the fishes adapting to a changing environment. And perhaps, maybe, the idea of fishes having to sort of constantly adjust to a changing physical environment could be some sort of a trigger hidden deep in their genetic code that perhaps stimulates overall health or immunity or spawning. It's a theory, a theory that I have, but maybe it's something in their you know programming that says, hey, you're at home. Perhaps something which triggers specific adaptive behaviors. It's worth thinking about. I find this possibility fascinating because we can learn more about our fish's behaviors and create really interesting habitats for them simply by adding botanicals to our aquariums and allowing them to do their own thing to break apart as they decompose, to move about as we change water or conduct maintenance activities or add new pieces from time to time. Again, kind of like what happens in nature. We just need to get over ourselves on this aesthetics thing. It's another mental shift, right? Yeah, it is. An easy one, but one that we need to make, really. Like any environment, botanical or leaf litter beds have their own rhythm, fostering substantial communities of fishes. The dynamic behind this biotope can best be summarized in a, in a passage I found, and I'll read it to you, uh, from an academic paper on blackwater leaf litter communities by one of my favorite zoologists, Peter Allen Henderson. And it's pretty useful for those of us that are attempting to replicate these communities in our aquarium. Let me read this to you. He says, Life within the leaf litter is not a crowded, chaotic scramble for space and food. Each species occupies a subregion defined by physical variables such as flow and oxygen content, water depth, litter depth, and particle size. This subtle division or subdivision of space is the key to understanding the maintenance of diversity. While subdivision of time is also evident with, for example, gymnotids, that's knife fishes, hunting by night and cichlids hunting by day, this is only possible when each species has its space within which to hide. Interesting, right? In other words, different species inhabit different sections of the leaf litter beds. As aquarists, we can consider this when creating, you know, stocking plans or creating the aquarium itself uh, for fishes, especially botanical style aquariums where we can arrange these types of materials. It just makes sense, right? So when you're attempting to replicate this type of environment, consider how the fishes would utilize each of the materials that you're working with. For example, uh, leaf litter areas would be an ideal shelter for many juvenile fishes, some mature catfishes, and even young cichlids to shelter and forage among. Submerged branches, larger seed pods, and other, you know, heftier botanicals provide territory in areas where the fishes can forage for macrophytes, you know, algal growths, which occur on the surfaces. Uh, fish can, you know, fish selection can also be influenced as much by the materials that you're using to, to scape or create the tank as anything else when you think about it. And it's not just fishes, of course, it's a multitude of life forms. I mean, there's numerous life forms that are found in and among these materials as well, like fungal growths, bacteria, biofilms, etc., etc., which we maybe never consider, but they're found in abundance in nature and in the aquarium, and they all perform vital roles in the function of the aquatic habitat. Perhaps most fascinating and, and like rarely discussed in the hobby are the really incredible, unique freshwater sponges from the genus Spongilla. Yes, you heard me right. Freshwater sponges. Now, these are really interesting life forms that attach themselves to rocks and logs and filter the water for various small aquatic organisms like bacteria, protozoa, and other minute organisms. Some are truly incredible looking. Unlike the better known marine sponges, freshwater sponges are subject to the more variable environments of rivers and streams and have adapted a strategy of survival. 
So when the conditions deteriorate, the organisms create buds known as gemmules, which are asexually produced uh, little masses of cells that are capable of developing into a new sponge. And the gemmules remain dormant until environmental conditions permit them to develop once again. Like, well, cool, right? That's pretty neat. Now, to my knowledge, these organisms have never been intentionally collected for aquariums, and I suspect they're a little tricky to transport based on my knowledge of the, the marine sponges, despite their adaptability. One species, uh, Metania reticulata, is extremely common in the Brazilian Amazon. So this is interesting. These are found on rocks, submerged branches, and even tree trunks when these areas are submerged. And then they remain in a dormant phase in those aforementioned gemmules during periods of desiccation. So when the water level slips low, they just go dormant on the trees. How cool is that? Now, look, I'm not suggesting that we go and collect freshwater sponges for aquarium uses. But I am curious if they occur as little hitchhikers on driftwood, rocks, or other materials that do end up in our aquariums. So when you think about how important sponges are as natural filters, you know, the mind wanders. One can only wonder how they might perform this beneficial role in the aquarium as well. We've encountered them in reef tanks for many years and indeed exploited them. I wonder if they can only find their way into our botanical-style aquariums as well. Perhaps they already have. Have any of you encountered one before in your tanks? Let me know. I'm curious. Now, the big takeaway from all this, a botanical bed in our aquariums and in nature is a physical structure, ephemeral though it may be, which functions just like an aggregation of branches or a reef, a rock pile, or other features that you find in the wild benthic environment, although perhaps even looser and maybe even more dynamic. Stuff gets redistributed, covered, and often breaks down over time, exactly like what happens in nature. Think about the possibilities which are out there, literally under every leaf, every sunken branch, every root, every rock. It's all brought about by that dynamic process of movement. Perhaps instead of looking at the movement of stuff in our tanks as an annoyance, wait a little bit. Think about it. it. We might enjoy it a lot more if we look at it as an opportunity, an opportunity to learn more about the behaviors and the lifestyles of our fishes and their ever-changing environments. Stay observant. Stay creative. Stay excited. Stay open-minded. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Fellman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending a little part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of the Tin.